The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Kendra Hall, author of the book, Stories That Stick, How Storytelling Can Captivate Customers, Influence Audiences, and Transform Your Business. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you are a listener, to the Marketing Book Podcast if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever you need to learn more about, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll do my best to point you in the right direction. I produce this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing world of marketing and sales in order to remain successful. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies to become better known, liked, and trusted in this modern era of the customer who doesn't want to be marketed or sold to. To learn more about the problems we solve, visit salesartillery.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Kendra Hall to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, Stories That Stick, How Storytelling Can Captivate Customers, Influence Audiences, and Transform Your Business, published by HarperCollins. Kendra Hall is President and Chief Storytelling Officer at Stellar Collective, a consulting firm focused on the strategic application of storytelling to today's communications challenges. Kendra is one of the most sought-after keynote speakers trusted by global brands to deliver presentations and training that inspire teams and individuals to better communicate the value of their company, their products, and their individuality through strategic storytelling. Kendra is a former director of marketing and VP of sales. She's a contributing editor to Success Magazine and was guest faculty at the Harvard Medical School. Her book, Stories at Stick, that we're about to discuss, debuted at number two on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and Forbes said it, quote, may be the most valuable business book you read. And interesting fact in sixth grade, she was cast in a school production of The Sound of Music as Marta Von Trapp, the second youngest child. Kenra, congratulations on Stories That Stick, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Douglas. Thrilled to be here. So I really like this book. And then when I got to page 89, I loved this book. You make me want to go open my book and see what's on page 89. Page 89, you mentioned the Ali G Show. <laughs> oh, uh, I was a big fan of it. Uh, you know what's funny is I I put that in there, um, on one of those days where 
you know, as an author, sometimes you have days where it all just comes out and it flows. And some days you have days where it just doesn't. And it was one of those days where it just didn't. And so I just started writing whatever crazy thing came to mind, like whatever out of, you know, just out of left field example, that one came, I was sure they were going to edit it out. Like, that's why you have an editor. So when it came back and that example was still in there, I thought, well, I'm glad I went with this editor because we, she is my people. (laughs) There you go. Well, no, it had lots of great, well, stories, but it was also very entertaining. And I can tell you're a professional speaker because of the pacing of the whole book, the way you're able to uh, keep the reader's attention. Let me start with a couple of excerpts from the beginning in the introduction where you say, the shift a story can make has a profound impact on business. It turns customers into converts. It transforms employees into evangelists, executives into leaders. It changes the nature and impact of marketing. And perhaps most importantly, it can change how we see ourselves, how that shift happens and how you can create it by harnessing the power of storytelling are what this book is about. And then a couple pages later, you write, in the pages that follow, we'll discover how storytelling has the power to change how everyone in business thinks, feels, and behaves, and how you can use that power yourself. So, Kendra, I think the term storytelling is one of the most misunderstood terms in business today. So before we go any further, I was hoping that you could explain what storytelling is and if there are perhaps any misperceptions of what it is that you would like to debunk. Oh, how long do we have? (laughs) No, I I think you're right. I think you know, on a positive note, one of the great things that has happened, um, and I would say just in the past five years, is that people in business have started to understand or recognize that storytelling is a powerful tool. And so a lot of brands, a lot of companies, a lot of individuals within that brands are saying, this is our story, or, or here is our story, or let us tell you our story. But what happens next is what the problem is, is they just go into more information. Um, We think that simply saying this is our brand, this is our story is telling a story when when it isn't. Um, So so, for example, funny. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> uh, just a couple of days ago, and this will this will date the podcast um, or this conversation in a way, but it, it's a relevant it's a relevant illustration going forward. I received an email from Marriott. I'm a Bonvoy member. I have lots of points. I I stay at a lot of Marriotts, and they sent an email, and in the email it said. Uh, our founder, we've always had a commitment to cleanliness. It's in our DNA. And what they're talking about is reassuring the public um, after, you know, as, as the world starts to slowly reopen in the wake of the pandemic, that it's safe to come to a Marriott because we're very clean. And in the email, it said, you know, our founder used to personally inspect the hotel rooms. And I, of course, as I'm reading this email, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I want to hear more about that. Like I, I start to already picture this, this 
old Mr. Marriott um, going in and and looking at the the bed covers and 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 inspecting the light switches and already just with that one sentence, I'm ready to hear this story. And then it gets better because they say, please watch this video from our, you know, someone else who's really high up, uh, the founder's son, as he tells the story of our commitment to clean or something like that. And I'm like, yes, okay. I can't wait to hear his story of his father's commitment to clean. So what do I do? I click on the email. I watch the video. I mean, we were getting, we get so many of these emails. I usually just kind of delete them all. Um, but this one had the promise of a story. And I watched watched the video and it said, we at Marriott have always believed in the safety of our guests and We've always kept things very clean. And now here are the things that we're doing additionally to keep it even more clean. And and then it went on and showed pictures of people cleaning, you know, uh, the remote controls and wiping down the light switches. But it was just really a, a two-minute video of bullet points of all the things that Marriott is doing to keep the hotels clean, which fine, valuable information, but it wasn't a story. And at the end of it, it was the, you know, the founder's son who voiced over the whole thing. And I thought, oh, there he is. He's going to tell us the story. But he didn't. He said, you know, this is always who we've been and this is who we will continue to be. And the video ended. And, and I think that I share that with you. And of course, it's all paraphrased. But storytelling has become such a big word in business. And yet we miss it. Simply saying, let us tell you our story does not make what comes next a story. Right, right. And I think that is, I think that's the misconception that saying, oh, here is a story and then giving bullet points on, you know, the tally sheet on the list of things to do to clean a hotel room. That is not a story. If I were to read that to my child at bedtime, they would revolt. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and well, the they should. Here, yes. And, and, and the, and the, the sadness of it all is there was obviously a story there just right under the surface. It would have been so easy to tell that story and then even go into all of the bullet points, but we don't. And so we miss it. And so now it's just an email that will disappear forever. Uh yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about some of the things that do make for a great story. So I hope if somebody listening has heard this term and wasn't quite sure what it is, they'll they'll have a better understanding of it after they hear this interview and then certainly after they read the book. But I just want to read one other quote. I can't resist because I had a great big exclamation point written next to it in the book. Okay. Good. <clears throat> yes, stories are extremely powerful. Yes, you should be telling stories to do business. And sometimes we do tell stories to do business. But stories, somewhere along the way, became known as brands. And somehow we forgot that, no, not everything is a story. When you look at the advertising, meetings, pitches, and boardrooms of the world, you quickly realize one thing. Despite the acceptance of the concept, there's still a lack of actual storytelling in business. And then, every once in a while, a real story is told, and we remember it. So, Kendra, you've written that what all businesses struggle with is this concept of bridging the gap. Can you explain that? Business is all about bridging gaps. It's it's the gaps that exist between 
where you are and where you want to be, what you have and getting that thing out into the marketplace, the behavior that you want somebody to take and inspiring them toward that action. So there, you know, the first and most obvious gap is the one in sales and marketing, getting the the message, getting the, um, the attention. Getting the attention, right? Mm-hmm. So that somebody will listen to what you're saying, be interested enough in what you're saying that it will move them to action. So gaps between you and your customers, gaps between your customers and their understanding of what you really are, gaps between uh, leaders and employees. There are gaps everywhere in business. And we try to fill those gaps with more information, with more logic, with great marketing copy. And you know now the video is so great, we can use all these sweeping images. But with those gaps, the best way to bridge those gaps are with stories. Mm. Why are stories so uh, powerful for bridging gaps versus the other things that I just read about? <laughs> PowerPoint slides with bullets on them. Well, the, and in the book, I talk about the, so right, we have to, we have these gaps. We have to bridge these gaps. What are good bridges made out of? And what do good bridges have to be able to do? Now you said one of them, and that is Mm -hmm. they have to capture attention. If you're, if you're just putting noise out there and nobody's listening to it, if a tree falls in the woods and Nobody is there to hear it, or maybe there's a bunch of people in there to hear it, but there are a bunch of other trees that are all falling around as well. Like, how do you make sure that your message is getting attention? So it's attention first, then it's influence, influencing behavior, influencing action. And then the last material for a great bridge is transformation. So so shifting, because if all you have is attention, and influence, attention and influence, you're going to get stuck in this constant cycle of getting someone's attention and getting them to act, getting someone's attention and getting them to act. But at some point, that cycle should, shouldn't involve you anymore. Like the person who has heard your message should be transformed enough that they take action, that they give you their attention all on their own. And in stories, whether it's working through the brain chemistry of releasing the chemical that makes us pay attention or the chemical that connects us to people and actually changes the way we feel about something. Um, Story has that ability to fill those gaps with the three things that are most needed. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, brain chemicals. Let's talk about our brains on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, not drugs, but explain the oxytocin. What, what what does it do to our brains and uh, why? what does it have to do with stories? How, how do stories activate that? Yeah. So this is, uh, this research was done, um, one of the primary researchers about the effects of storytelling in the brain was uh, neurologist Paul Zak. And through his work, he found that when we hear a story, it isn't just that, and this is what I love about true stories being told, because there are the skeptics, right, that just think it's the fluff, or or maybe it's the people who understand that stories are important, but I'll be honest, telling great stories takes more work. Um, finding those stories, building those stories out takes more work than just writing that bullet point list. So for the skeptics to think, well, you know, what does it matter? This, this 
brain chemistry aspect of the reaction to storytelling, for me, answers the question of, is this worth it? So when we hear stories, our brain releases the chemical of oxytocin. Now, oxytocin um, was in the news a lot for a while. I haven't heard it so much recently, but it's known as the trust hormone. It's through oxytocin that we increase empathy and emotion. It's called the bonding chemical. It's what's released um, with a newborn in a in a nursing mother. Like oxytocin is the thing that makes us feel and feel connected and. And, and the power of that, that's something we can't control, right? Like that is a, that is a human biological response. Um, so if you, if you can tap into that, and I'm sure you've seen that before, you've seen that in an ad where you, you watch it and then you just start crying. I think in the book, we talk about, um, uh, watching a movie and just like the, and of course movies, you get that long form release of oxytocin, mm-hmm. but that oxytocin can happen in a short period of time as well. So I, and also I, I, I can get oxytocin by hugging the dog and apparently the, the dog gets it too. So yeah. just a little trick for you folks at home with your dogs. <laughs> um, so Joseph Campbell's hero's journey that I hear about so much related to storytelling, uh, I think it has like 17 steps. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, George Lucas followed it really closely when he created uh, the first Star Wars films. And I've read the book Story Brand by Donald Miller a couple times, and I really liked it. But, you know, as listeners to this show will know, I'm not the brightest guy, and I still didn't quite I didn't quite get all of it, and I so wanted to. So I guess I need to read it a third time. Um, and that, had, like I said, I think it has seven seven parts. So that was really quite a, an accomplishment. You have just four, which yeah. um, guess what? I understand now. No, I'm kidding. But it was, it was so interesting. I'm always amazed when someone's able to simplify something even more. And yours are identifiable characters authentic emotion, a significant moment, and specific details. Let's go to identifiable characters. And if you would, I smiled when I read this. What is your issue with the word hero that's so often used in in storytelling? Ooh, that's a... That's a good question. Uh, And I do, I feel strongly... So when I wrote stories that stick and really my entire history with storytelling, my entire approach, especially as we're using it in business, is that we need something that is um, that can be used in a like simply right like we need we need agility we need to be able to tell a story to a customer over here and then tell a story to a new hire over here and and in business you know they aren't authors they aren't screenwriters necessarily right everyone mm-hmm. wants to write a book but but how do we simplify this and and the issue with the hero is I think, while it makes a lot of sense, I think that we have this, you know, just this innate understanding of it, this connotation that it, it's a superhero. Right, or a like hero. we wear a cape. Yeah, or that it's a larger than life, or that we certainly 
couldn't be a hero. And so by inserting that into the uh, vernaculars, having that as part of our lexicon for understanding storytelling immediately puts up a barrier uh, that's just too high. Like, oh, well, I don't have a, there isn't a hero here. And it gets complicated because you hear, well, you can't make the customer, the you can't make yourself the hero. The customer has to be the hero. And I just, I just feel like it's not about a hero. What we really need for that, to tap into that oxytocin release, uh, to tap into what I call the co-creative process, where the person listening to the story is actually co-creating it in their mind with you, whether they're reading it, whether they're hearing it, whether it's in video, that they're picturing it, they're taking your words and they're picturing it in their minds, what we really need for that to happen, and that's where these four components come in, is not a hero. We just need an identifiable character. We need a person. Yeah, so you can't just say, we at XYZ Company believe that blah, 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 blah. Like, what What do you picture when it's a comp, like a building, yeah. a logo? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't help. But a character, now it doesn't need to be a character in a cape. It doesn't need a character with incredible, you know, chutzpah who can conquer all just a person that we can identify in our minds and then also identify with Mm -hmm. keep it simple and those people that's that's you know that's the head of a supply chain that's joe in accounting that's you know like those it suddenly gives us permission to tell stories about a lot more things. Right. And I think it's helpful. It was certainly helpful for me when I saw that. I, I guess I felt a little bit of a relief because when companies are trying to do storytelling and they're trying to use an identifiable character, like let's say a customer rather than somebody from the company, um, it makes it, it seems to make it easier. In other words, this doesn't have to be some heroic person. They became heroic because they bought our widget, but you could still tell the story and make it seem relatable because it might be like they might be like so many other customers that have maybe some of the same <clears throat> you know issues or or problems so you why did you say authentic emotion do you see a lot of inauthentic emotion or or just none in storytelling <laughs> no no that was that's a great question i never thought of it that way no the key with authentic emotion is i think to to the very similarly to the issue with the hero is the misconception about storytelling is that in order for a story to be worthy of being told, we picture the silver screen. We think that it has to be some huge act of triumph or some great tragedy that it, it needs to be something that makes people cry or, or feel big emotions. Mm -hmm. And and the truth is, especially in business, but I think all the time, the most effective, if what you're trying to do is really connect with your audience, the best way to connect with them is with the emotions that they feel on a daily basis. Uh, Mm -hmm. Frustration, um, guilt, uh, hopefulness, desire. There there are so many- Maybe a little bit of fear. Yeah, a, a little bit of fear, but it doesn't have to be terrified that, you know, the world is ending right. and they won't be able to feed their children. Yes. Like it can just be, and, and the better you are at sharing those, those authentic emotions that humans feel. Cause remember 
we are still telling stories as humans to humans. And so the better you are at including those authentic emotions, see, that was the thing that was missing from the Marriott's quote unquote story is there was no emotion in it. It was just information. It wasn't, it, it, there was no, so that's what I mean by authentic emotion. Not that it needs to, you know, that there's a lot of inauthentic emotion, but I think again, we put too much pressure on ourselves and thinking that the emotion in our stories aren't good enough. And so therefore we don't include it and we miss the opportunity. So what, what do you mean by a significant moment? Is that the, the Eureka moment? Yeah, I think that this That seems like the hardest one to me. It is. It is the it is the hardest one. Um and and honestly, looking back, I think by including the word significant, uh I did it a, a disservice. So you know, and, and this happens as you write a book and you put it out there and then you live with the book longer and you, and you do this, you do more trainings, you do more podcasts, you have more conversations. And without really realizing it, I've edited out in my own expression of this component, the word significant. Uh, and then the other, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, I opened my own book and I was like, oh, wow. I forgot that I had that word in there. So it's in there. Well, there will probably be a second edition. So I know. So it's not wrong, but here's what I mean by a moment. Back to the concept of this co-creative process. What you really want as you're telling stories is for people to be able to picture it, but not only that, to be right there with you. Mm -hmm. But if you never include a certain place and, and time and moment in the journey where where they can be right there with you, mm-hmm. again, you're you're missing it. There's you're missing an opportunity. So back to, I feel so bad that I keep referring back to this email situation, but imagine if they had included a story and zoomed all the way in to, you know, the founder, um, putting his hands on the brass door of their very first Marriott and opening it and seeing the fingerprints left behind and thinking to himself, how many fingerprints in a beautiful way, are left there by their guests, by their team members. These fingerprints are what makes the brand our brand. But the fingerprints also can't be shown, you know, or like what? But even as I'm saying that, aren't you picturing the brass handle on a glass door or whatever it is of the of the front of a, a Marriott to have somebody standing right there in the room with you um, or right there in the office when the situation happened or, or right there out on a bike ride. If that's where this moment is, you want to bring your audience and this is the opportunity, the moment to zoom away in and make sure that at this point in the story, the person listening to it is standing right next to the person who's in it. Mm -hmm. And you know, the Marriott, uh, example is a good one, and we're not trying to beat up on Marriott. I'm a, I'm a customer too. But we're all getting so many messages from companies about the things that they're doing in light of this pandemic. So, I mean, every day we're, we're getting emails mm-hmm. or messages, and <clears throat> some of the messages are good. Uh, some of the messages are unnecessary, uh, and a lot of people are getting tired of them. A lot of that may have uh, died down a little bit. So, you've got those four parts, but then you make it even easier. <laughs> your, your company's framework 
has only three parts. <laughs> this is what yeah. this is what uh, really got my attention. It's basically uh, normal explosion and new normal. <laughs> Please <Yeah>. explain. <laughs> so 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 ultimately, altogether, in stories that stick, we have the four components which we just talked about, mm-hmm. and then those components need to go somewhere in some sort of order because just scattering them around isn't going to help you. So this is instead of that nine-step hero's journey, we have a three-step <laughs> plan, and it's normal explosion, new normal, and ultimately, it isn't. Right now, my uh, son is in third grade. Um, I am teaching. I am now a third grade teacher in addition to being an author and a speaker because we are all now homeschooling our children. Uh, But it was interesting to participate in his writing education because it isn't much different than beginning, middle, end. My daughter's in second grade. She's learning the same thing. So it's very, that's what writing used to be when we were very young. And, and this framework uh, nods to that, but gives it a little bit more explanation. So what typically happens and where stories often go wrong and end up not being a story is we start in the middle of the story with the explosion. Now the explosion makes it sound like it's a big aggressive happening. It doesn't have to, something doesn't actually have to explode, but rather the explosion is is the action point. Right. It's the decision that was made. It was the thing that happened. It was the it was the yes from the customer. And now, now that they've said yes, they're going into the new normal, which is all these great things that you or your company or your service or your product is able to provide. But what mm-hmm. happens is when you start with the explosion, we miss the part that makes people care. We miss the normal, which is where we get to know that identifiable character, which is where we get to connect with, if if, if this is a potential, because if I'm a potential customer listening to this story, it's where we get to say, oh yeah, I've felt that way before. Oh, I've totally been there before. It's also where you draw us in to make us think, wait, something's going to happen. Because we know intuitively when we're hearing a real story, that that explosion point, that change, that decision is coming. And I really think that the reward hearing what that explosion is, is what keeps us there. We talked earlier about attention. There's a big difference between trying to get someone's attention and having them give it to you. And they give it to you when you build out that normal. And not only that, but they're saying to themselves, oh, they really understand me. They, they, they get where I'm coming from. So then when you tell them about the decision point, the action point, the thing that happened, and now what's possible as a result in the new normal, they believe the whole story instead of, I mean, skeptics are born in the explosion and and they die when you get to the, you know, like customers are, that, that's where the skepticism is born. And then the customer dies if the new normal is there and they never cared. Right. So normal is, as you described, that's things are how they are. And then <clears throat> that's the part that, yeah, like you say, they, they seem to leave that part out, the, that context. Then explosion, something happens. And then the new normal, things are different. I don't, I, congratulations, I don't think you can make it any simpler <laughs> than those three things. And I th- found it interesting that you, in the book, you focus on four of the most important stories that uh, any company should have. And I've, and I've read this in some other books uh, as well. And one of them is 
well, I guess this was probably my favorite because I'm in the you know, sales and marketing world, but that was the the value story. And you say that when it comes to sales and marketing, the value story is king. And the value of a value story starts in psychology and spans the full spectrum of why we say yes. So can you explain what a, a value story is? I feel like it's I'm going to do that thing where it sounds pretty simple again. Um, <laughs> Stop. I know. The value story is a story that illustrates the value. When we say, oh, our company does this, or we believe in that, or this product will do, or it has, or it is, again, that's you're trying to bridge a gap with insufficient materials. But if you are able to find a story that shows that value, or in some cases, you know, you're, you're trying to explain that, yes, it's this, but it does so much more where you can then position yourself above the competition and tap into that, um, that deeper relationship, that's what a value story does. It's it's when, if you've ever felt that gap where you've explained what it is you do and why you're so great and they're like, yeah. Or, or they give you that look of, I read that on your website. Uh, that's when you know you're, you're, you're missing a story right here. And a story could be told. Yeah, and also if people could strive for the value story to improve so much the rest of the marketing because people are buying the value <clears throat> of what you're offering, not your products and services, which people tend to want to talk about the most. Um, there was an interesting tip I saw in the book about if you want to figure out what your customers really care about, imagine them at the end of the day. Can you explain that? I thought that was a great trick, a great tip. Yeah, it was actually one. I can't I can't claim credit for it. I read it years ago, but when we're trying to tap into that authentic emotion is is to think about your customer at the end of the day when when the family's in bed or when the chores are complete, when the you know, the last bills have been paid after the Netflix has been watched and they go to bed but they're still awake, what is it that's keeping them up? Like, mm-hmm. what are they, what are they anxious about? What are they thinking about? What right. are they concerned about? What problem are they really trying to solve or figure out? And, and if you or your product or your company can solve that problem, you know that you already know that this is what your product does or this is what your service is all about. That's fine. But that key thinking about your customer in that place will give you one of those four components, which is authentic emotion. And now you can tell stories that have to be true. I should say that be telling true stories. This is not a fiction. <laughs> Storytelling is not writing. making things up. Yeah. No, this is not a, a making things up, but you have within your experience, within your customer base, other people, other stories where that feeling was also present. That's a great place to start. Yes. And th- another one is the founder story. And I guess I, it made me start thinking back to all these uh, tech journalists who write about startup founders. 
And you say that a founder story is good if you want to increase confidence and differentiate. So explain what a founder story is. And do you have some examples of founder stories that are not done correctly? So a founder story really is, I think my, this is the chapter that has my favorite line in the book. And again, I thought I was super funny when I thought it was really, it was one of those that it was something about, now I can't, what, hold on. Let me, let me, let me think back to what this is. It was no matter when, no matter how, unless your company was the first evidence of immaculate incorporation. You have a founder story. Like every company started somewhere and the founder story is the story of that founding. And and being able to tell that story, to identify that story for yourself as a founder and tell that going forward is extremely beneficial. Having a strong founder story that is told within your organization, among your top leaders, and even up and coming brand new employees will bring people in and keep them there. Um, I mean, some people have used founder stories for, I mean, some, some, I don't want to name any names, but there have been really great founders who did the storytelling and there wasn't much beyond the story that they told, right? Like that, 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 again, use this power for good and not evil. I think some of the examples of great storytelling, Airbnb, I mention it in the book. They do a great job. They, they have several different stories of, of how the company got started. And when they went in and shared those stories, uh, one was about having air mattresses on their apartment floor during a conference in San Francisco when the whole place was sold out. That was a great, that was a great story. They have another one about raising funds, selling boxes of cereal during one of the election periods. Uh, that who was that? Obama and Senator McCain, I believe. But these stories become lore. And if you keep telling them and you tell them, well, soon your company can be, it becomes the verbal shorthand. Like you can say, oh, Airbnb in the cereal box story. And people are like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that story. Mm-hmm. Now where those stories go wrong is again, where you just don't, well, let me just give you an example. You go to an about us page and you're like, okay, like an about us page is the perfect place (laughs) for a founder story. Like what other content could you put there that would be better? So you go to the about us page and it says, we were founded in 1973, and then in 1985, we expanded to three regions. And then in 1991, we went nationwide, and now we serve X number of people. Again, do you like the voice that I use when I tell this? Right. And actually, I think in that chapter, you talked about how you were working with a client once that needed a founder story, but the only problem was he didn't want his name used. He didn't want people in the story <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't want to talk about. And that sounds like the about page they probably ended up with after you guys parted ways with them. Yeah. They just didn't 
They didn't want identifiable characters. They didn't want authentic emotion. They didn't want a moment. Like, think about that. Any day, anyone who's ever started a company and you're, whether it was, and it's different for everyone, whether it's the first day that you were standing in your storefront or the first day that you turned the sign from closed to open or, or the first call that you got, like we've, it's all, there. there's so much so many of those components are right there. Um, but there is an issue with some, some founders will say, I don't want the story to be about me. And that, that ties back into that whole hero conflict. But you have to realize as a founder, like what we see is the company, but we don't want to do business with business. We want to do business with people. It's, it's fascinating for anyone to hear the people behind the logo, the people behind the the brand, and the story—the founder story—is such an incredible opportunity to to show what the who the people are or were, and what this company is really all about. What what it was founded on. So let's go to the purpose story. Explain what a purpose story is, and Kendra Hall, what is the purpose of a purpose story? <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite story. Um, the purpose of a purpose story. And that's really, when I think of a purpose story, I think of like the multi-purpose room at my church growing up that where we would have Sunday school and choir practice and preschool and basically anything else you can imagine. Oh, it happens in the multi-purpose room. The purpose story is really the story for leaders, leaders who have to communicate important messages. And these are the messages that can get lost in the ether. Like, um, we believe in excellence. I need you to follow through on this, this initiative. I've seen purpose stories at work, um, like in safety training where they're, they're trying to get this very important message across that this, this is why you have to follow these procedures so precisely. And you can say that to someone over and over and over again. But if you want to inspire the action, that's an opportunity for a purpose story to move them to take the action you want. So a purpose story can align teams. It can ground high-level concepts. It can move people to action. And the beauty of a purpose story is you can be telling stories within the walls of the business. But what I really recommend, especially for leaders, is we hear a lot about vulnerability. We hear a lot about authenticity and leadership. And, and I do. I think that leaders, when we get that job, when we get that title, when we get that business card, if business cards are even a thing, when we fill out our LinkedIn profile, there's a tendency to edit the person out and just be the role. And I get it. There's there's always a risk of, of being too vulnerable or opening yourself up too much. But the purpose story bridges that gap perfectly to, to still be an authority and a leader, but also allow people to get a glimpse of who you are as a person, depending on the stories you tell. You can tell personal stories to, to illustrate those points. Yes, this brings to mind a company that sells safety products, industrial safety products, and their purpose is they'll say, we want all our customers to go home from work safely each day. 
In other words, there's like a purpose there. It's taken, it's going beyond, we're just selling safety mm-hmm. products. We want our customers to be safe and be able to go home every day without an injury. So the, the other one that is uh, probably my second favorite, I guess, <laughs> was the customer story. Yep. And remind folks what a customer story is and why is it that customer stories are, when they're done correctly, are probably more credible than anything else? The customer story, and again, I'll give you a little behind the scenes here. I went back and forth for a while about whether the customer story should be its own story or if it should be like a subset of the value story. Because essentially, a customer story is doing a value story's job. It's it's using one of your customers, their experience, their normal explosion, new normal, to illustrate the value of what it is you have to offer. Ultimately, I decided to set it aside as its own story because I really do think that there is a problem when it comes to customer stories in that in business we we know we know what a we know what it should be, but we get a little bit lazy. And we've become, with everything being so automated and you know, business spanning globes instead of instead of neighborhood streets, you know, just by the nature of the advancement, we've in some cases lost some touch with our customers. And so what we do is we build avatars, we, you know, we create, we make up stories that we think are pretty similar to our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, buyer personas when they're not done right. That's a exactly. good example. And you even talk in the book in that section about how in too many companies, the marketing people aren't even in touch with the customers. That's And that's not their job. Yeah, that's not their job. They're in the, they're in their offices, they're in their war rooms, they're in their, you know, the offices with whiteboards all over them. But if they want to really, like they need to, there's so much siloing. And um, the customer story really is the way that we, I insist that we break down some of those silos and, and get in touch with the customers, the real customers. And, and of course, to do that, you need to know, like, where are we going to tell these customer stories? What are they going to look like? Um, they can take more work because you do have to go. If you decide to, like, put a customer story in an ad or even a video that you produce yourself, you it take you don't get to just write it for them. They have to be a part of it. Right. Uh, but putting that work in is so worth it. Well, I think the fact that they're probably one of the more difficult ones to do makes it more appealing to me because my competition's just uh, less likely uh, to do them, and it can—they really are uh, very powerful. There's a whole sections in the book about um, how to how to find your stories and how to collect them and how to pick the right ones and all that sort of thing. But the the last thing I wanted to mention is that you say the single biggest barrier to not telling your story is not procrastination or being afraid of sharing or, or maybe stage fright. The, the biggest barrier is assuming you don't have a story in the first place. And after reading your book, it became so clear that there are stories in every single organization. Yeah, I think that it happens when you're doing your work, when you're in business our stories don't sound like stories to us. They just sound like life. And 
And because of that, we forget to tap into them. We forget that that this thing that happened over here, this extra effort that we put in over there, that's a story that we can use going forward. Um, and that was one of my big hopes for the book was that after people finished reading it, they would say to themselves, oh, wow, we have, I, I hoped that they felt overwhelmed. Like we have so many stories and, and almost that they would start to see their experiences, their work in a different way as not day-to-day operations, but rather possible stories that could be told. Yes. And you also talk about how uh, to use stories in presentations and right off the bat, I mean, I'm I'm stealing all of this, Kendra, but <laughs> all, these, <laughs> all these ideas. Yeah, because I'm, I'm reworking a presentation I'm giving next month, and I'm just thinking, oh, of course. Duh. Yeah, I should have been doing it that way. And then there's even a section on using stories in job interviews and why that's so much more uh, effective. So, Kendra, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? My hope would be that simple shift that when they see a gap or when they maybe even go back and look at a previous message that they created to see, oh, that isn't a story (laughs) or to see, I could tell a story here. And then the secondary hope is that they would feel confident that they had an approach they could use. Oh, I think you've succeeded wildly on both because that was the impression I had was that it's it doesn't have to be as complicated as certain uh, other approaches, which are also good. But I think they just require, yeah. I don't know, maybe a mastery that I, I just don't have. <clears throat> but also, I started seeing that all of these places where I could be using it. And funny thing, yesterday I was talking to a, an author, a co-author of a book called Reunize Your Business. Uh, I was talking to Ethan Butte and Steve Passanelli, and it's for that limited time series I'm doing that we talked about before we started recording, uh, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. I know. Our recording session is a little too early for yeah, that. Next time, right. put me later in the afternoon, please. Yes. Well, <laughs> I may circle back because I'm going to do it until I run out of quarantine or authors, whichever comes first. And I'm starting right. to run out of authors. Yeah. But I happened to mention I was going to be talking to you today, and uh, Steve said, oh, I'm reading her book right now. But the similarity for both books, actually, was that there's, their book was about using personal video in sales and customer service and, and uh, that type of thing. And after reading that book, I was smacking my head, realizing there was so much more I could be doing with personal videos. In fact, sometimes it's even faster than sending an email. A similar experience happened with your book where I started realizing that uh, I needed to um, – start watering the uh, watering the story tree because <laughs> it'll grow. Yeah. So what's one thing a listener could do today? Just one uh, to put in action one of the ideas from your book. I would say, think about, you said it right there. Think about an upcoming communication event that you have. And I'm not talking about an in-person event. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a phone call that you have to have. Maybe it's an important email that you need to Mm -hmm. send. Maybe it's a, it's a team meeting. Maybe it's a virtual meeting, but a communication event that is coming up where you are in some form or another going to be responsible for delivering a message. And no matter the length, no matter how much time to think about that event, Think about the message that you're, you need to convey and then stop and ask yourself, 
is there a story I could tell that would enhance that message? And that's the one thing. Like, I, I think that if, and, and it's important to be thinking, and maybe it's a post on social media. I mean, social mm-hmm. media is such an important place to be sharing your stories, but to be thinking about a specific place as you're just getting started where you can tell a story, that'll get you going. Yes, that is great advice. And even I was thinking about testing this out just with the family because we're all here (laughs) at the house. Try telling, uh, communicating a little bit more in in stories. Don't tell them I'm going to do that, though. I just want to see how it how it goes. I don't have to worry because they don't listen to this podcast, but, uh, well, wait until you see, and that's a, of course, this is a, this is a business book and I'm, I'm very excited to be in the process of future books, but there's a whole aspect of storytelling and family. Uh, and I, I was just listening to a podcast not long ago and, and this person just seemed to know so much about her history. And I, I realized, I was like, oh, she just sounds so thoughtful and smart and connected and wise. And I thought, you know why? It's because she knows where she came from. Like she knows the stories. And so whose responsibility is that? It's my responsibility to go back and ask my mother and hope that she asked my grandmother stories and hope that my grandmother. And and so that ask, uh, there's so much that could happen in storytelling and family, raising your families. I mean, yes. I, mean, I should write down this outline. And you talk about that in the book in terms of some research that was done that showed the benefits of children as they grow up, understanding the stories uh, that in, in their families. Yeah, so, yeah, that was fascinating research. What books have most inspired your work and career? Mm, that's a great question. I love, um, I love the power of habit. Charles Duhigg. Mm-hmm. I love Atomic Habits. I'm fascinated. You endorsed your book. Yeah, Charles, I know. I fell out of my chair when he did that. Actually, literally fell on the ground. Um, That is not an overstatement. I just launched myself right out of my chair. I was so excited. But I love love the thought of these small things and how these small things happen and how you can, and I use manipulate not in a negative way, but you can manipulate these small things to to better yourself. And, and that's actually something that I'm really looking at now in terms of storytelling and the stories we tell ourselves. Um, so I love Power of Habit. I love Atomic Habits. I love the book Big Magic. I feel like she took, uh, that's Elizabeth Gilbert. I feel like she mm-hmm. took my soul and just put it in a book. Uh, I love The War of Art. That's one of my other. Oh, by favorites. Stephen Pressfield, yes. Yeah, I love that book. Mm. Um, so those are those are a few of my favorites. Oh, terrific. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or have heard of that you're looking forward to seeing? Oh, I well one one I just got, and this is completely this is a complete 180 or as far on the opposite direction. It's a book about cook it's a cookbook about cooking with plants like it's like a vegan cookbook i am not vegan i love all the meats um but she sent it to me it's called party in your plants and you know we've been quarantined we're like why not start it is a not only a great book to read but b the recipes are so delicious and i would say for anybody it's an exercise in creativity like i can't believe this tastes good so far we've made chocolate chip cookie dough 
except it's made out of chickpeas. I mean, so, you know, so if you want to stimulate creativity in your brain, get that cookbook. Um, and then what was the other one? Oh, I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Uh, I haven't gotten my hands on that one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, terrific. Well, I see uh, the other book here, uh, Party in Your Plants, Yeah, which for some reason brings to mind a line from uh, – the movie Anchorman, which we won't go into. So <laughs> at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to your site and your social media and your LinkedIn profile and so forth. So uh, listeners connect with you, can connect with you and thank you for joining us on the show. And we'll include links to all the books that you've mentioned. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Stories That Stick, How Storytelling Can Captivate Customers, Influence Audiences, and Transform Your Business. The author is Kendra Hall. Kendra, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. It was a pleasure. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who've left an iTunes review, I really appreciate it and would like to return your kind favor by mailing you a thank you note and include a Marketing Book Podcast bookmark and laptop sticker. Just message me on LinkedIn, your mailing address, anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And if you'd like to record a question that could be played and answered on a future episode, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.